what on earth, what in the world is going on? I want to just take a couple of weeks. We often do it this time of year, just sort of tap into the prophetic, what's God doing, what's he saying. And uh, But last week at the elders' retreat, thank you, so many people sent us texts and emails saying we're praying for you. Really, really appreciated that. But one of the things that came up is uh, just a sense of uh, what's happening in our nation and the need to speak into it in some way and uh, to try and put a prophetic sounding, a biblical context into what's happening. And it's something I've never really done before. Uh, but the more I've thought about it, the more I feel like this is important and that we've got something to say. And even that it would be wrong not to say something because if we don't say anything, it kind of confirms that view that the church has got nothing to say to the world today. And I don't think that's right. I don't think the church or its message is irrelevant to the world today. I think the opposite is true. I think we've got a lot to say. I think more than that, we've got to bring peace wherever we go, reassurance to a fractured nation and a broken society, because I still believe that Jesus is the answer to the world today. And that's the tone I want to bring today. So where shall I start? Um, That's been the battle over the last week or so. Well, I'm not going to get into the rights and wrongs of particular political views or personalities. Far too dangerous. And I don't think I'm qualified to lead you in that. But I have been drawn back to Haggai chapters 1 and 2, which is interesting because when I checked the preaching program, it's exactly where we were this time last year. God was speaking to us then from Haggai chapter 1. So I still think that there's some things that he wants to say to us from that little book. I mean, the book of Haggai, if you know anything about it, a prophetic word that was written at the time of changing empires. That's when it was written. The balance of power between the Babylonian and the Persian empires was shifting. It was around 538 BC that Cyrus conquered Babylon, bringing the bloody legacy of Nebuchadnezzar finally to an end, releasing the Jews back to their homeland, a kind of Jewish Jexit, if you you like. It's kind of a Jexit. And there there was a a lot of uncertainty and insecurity. There were political power struggles. Put your hand up if you've heard of any of this. A lack of clarity. And so the people of God, what did they do? They retreated. They removed themselves from the public context of rebuilding the company, the, the, the temple. They removed themselves from what God had told them to do, retreated instead to Netflix TV and time-consuming DIY projects, which took all their attention and resources. I'm not having a go, it's all right. Um, But it was into this context that the prophet Haggai spoke by the Spirit of God in chapter 1, and he tells the people of God, guys, you've got to give careful thought to your ways. You've got to give careful thought to your ways, because there will come consequences for the way that you've lived. So if you turn to Haggai chapter 1, in fact, it's going to come up there on the screen. There's just two sections I want to speak about today. And the first one is about the way that you've lived. This is what God tells us to do. Think carefully about the way that you live. You have planted much, verse 5, but harvested little. You eat 
but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, Haggai describes a people who are greedy and given over to material gain. Not only that, they've overspent and they're in debt. But there will be, he says, consequences. Verse 7, this is what God says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, Because of you, the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. The heavens have withheld, withheld dew, withheld crops because of you. Strong winds, famine, drought all as a direct consequence of how they'd lived. And surely there must be echoes. There are echoes of this even today. Two things that we too are being confronted with uh, when a materialistic life has led to debt, overuse of natural resources, and the consequences not just for ourselves, but even for the environment in which we live. I mean, perhaps it's not completely what the passage is saying here, but prophetically, I, I, I think there's something reminiscent of our own situation here, don't you think? And we want to speak more into some of these things in more detail, especially about the environment uh, in the future. But here's the message that I think God wants us to hear today. Guys, it's time to take responsibility. That's the first thing. It's interesting, you see, that God doesn't blame their leaders, and they've just had a tyrant Nebuchadnezzar, and he doesn't even blame Cyrus. Uh, Those were the leaders that kind of put them in this place. Rather, he says, people, you need to consider your own ways, the decisions that you've taken, the way that you've lived. Uh, It's just too convenient to blame governments. It's too easy to pass the buck. What about us? But what about us? What about the way that we live? What about uh, the decisions that we've taken? There's a kind of complacency that we've shown in those times that we didn't bother to vote. (laughs) You know, we didn't bother to vote, and then we wonder why we ended up where we are. (laughs) The decisions that have been made over years that we've allowed to slip through the net because we've never spoken up. (laughs) We've never engaged but retreated into the comfort and security of our own homes. We've all done this. I didn't want to write this talk. I didn't want to give this talk because I felt too convicted myself. We've all done these things. And I'm not even talking about Brexit here. I I mentioned the B word. You know, there are laws that have been passed over many years that we should have had the courage of our convictions to speak up about and allow our voices to be heard. Why didn't we? It's just easier to blame others. (laughs) And blame and complain is just another British institution, yeah? Do you you get it? Blame and complain game. 
I've really been challenged by this, and, and I was challenged also by um, a quote that Brené Brown's life was changed by. She says, came from a speech in Paris uh, in 1910 given by Theodore Roosevelt. Some of you may have heard these words before. And she says this, she says, it's not, this is Theodore Roosevelt in 1910. He says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. You probably want to think about that quote, but it's one thing to be a critic on the sidelines to speak up after the event, to moan and complain, it's quite another to enter the arena and try and do something about the problems that we see. To turn up, to stand up, even if that arena is one of prayer and intercession. Because there's no doubt about it that prayer is needed for our country at the moment, for, the, for even Europe. You know, very often it's the politicians who are in the arena, the the public face of the anger and frustration that's in our nation at the moment. They are easy and perhaps deserving targets. But as I heard it said recently, you can't complain about a government that you've never prayed for. The Bible commands us to pray for all those in authority, so do we. We're told to pray even if we don't like what those in authority are doing or we don't like who they are, which seems to be so much the case in our celebrity personality-driven culture. We don't like them, so we try to pull them down. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that your prayers can make a difference? Because, you see, if we don't pray, we may only get the leaders we deserve (laughs) rather than the leaders that we should or could or would have asked for. Do you believe that your prayers can make the difference, that the future of the whole world rests on this? Now, of course, we partner with God in prayer. But our prayers are powerful and they can change nations. You don't have to be a judge or a council leader or a politician, or a public person of influence, perhaps you're not called to such a public arena, but you can be called to the arena, and I believe the church is, to pray. We must pray. So what's going on with our nation? There's all kinds of prophetic voices speaking at the moment. If you go on the internet, you'll discover all kinds of strange, wacky, and quite interesting conspiracy theories right now. But some prophets are saying, well, what we're experiencing and what's going to happen is the judgment of God for our nation. And there's nothing we can do about it. You know, it's just the way it is. We've really messed up badly. We should never have allowed certain things to happen. It's the judgment of God. Well, I don't think so. But even if it were... 
then the Bible says that judgment begins at the house of the Lord. So, again, we need to give careful thought to our ways for the part that we have played in this. Others have spoken of a humbling of our nation, and I think there may be something in this. The Bible tells us that pride comes before a fall, but not judgment, more like consequences. And I can see how we may be living with the consequences of how we've lived and that we will, to use Jesus' words, inevitably reap what we have sown, or at least our future generations will. Which means that the appropriate response to what is going on all around us at this time is not anger or criticism. It's not blame, unless it's of ourselves, but rather there is to be a humbling of ourselves and a call to repentance that we change not only the way that we think, but also the way that we live. And you know, there is no greater way of demonstrating this humility than to pray. We have this verse fixed to the door of our prayer room from 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Doesn't that just seem so appropriate right now? We need a move of God, but we need a move to God in prayer. We need to stop doing what the world is doing and throwing around blame and take responsibility. We need to intercede for our nation. We need to pray for all nations. We need, and I don't even understand the theology of this, but I, we even need to confess the sins of our nations and ask for an outpouring of forgiveness and healing for all people and for the whole of creation. Now, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that creation is groaning. <laughs> It's groaning. Creation is longing for the revelation of the sons of God. We need to step up. (laughs) We need to stand up. We need to own up. And God is shaking the nations right now. And we're going to see that next time. I'm going to do another talk in a couple of weeks from Haggai 2, where it says that God is shaking the nations. And I believe he is right now shaking the nations. Haggai 1, again, verse 12, tells us how the leaders and the people responded to the prophet's words. They humbled themselves and obeyed the voice of the Lord. And something of their complacency lifted because it says that they feared the Lord. You know, there's nothing wrong with a bit of fear. (laughs) Especially if that fear leads us to action. Fear of what may happen or fear of what we're experiencing and seeing some of the vile undertones of our society. We should be afraid right now. Some of the things that are being said so publicly. And fear is a great motivator, I think, to prayer. Ever had a life-threatening illness? You find that you pray well then. (laughs) And so God responded to their fear and he says this. He says, I am with you, verse 13. Right into this upheaval, into this time of insecurity and fear, God 
gives them the reassurance of his presence. I am with you. And we may fear, we may tremble, we may be concerned about the future, but we are not like those who are without hope. Even with all that's going on, we don't need to despair. Actually, we don't need to be fearful, we need to be humble. God is still on the throne and is the king of the whole world. And over the years, I've got to say, my theology has changed. (laughs) I used to think that the world would just get worse and worse, that it would get darker and darker, and then the end would come and Jesus would rescue us all from this mess. And so my job was just to struggle on to the end, and hopefully we'd all make it by the skin of our teeth. And actually, I think that wrong theology from some of our early charismatic days has contributed to some of the the head-in-the-sand mentality of so many Christians over the years because there's a right desire to see Jesus return. And if we make the world worse, then he's got to, to come and rescue us. But I've come to realize a much more positive eschatology, an eschatology where light grows brighter and overcomes darkness, (laughs) where the salt gets saltier and even changes the environment, where the church grows bigger and healthier, where the local church is still the hope for the world. I've come to see that Jesus, when he returns, is coming for a victorious and wonderful bride, a bride that he, the King of Kings, is proud to walk down the aisle with, a bride who is made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. So we've got some work to do then. We've got some work to do to prepare ourselves for that with his help. So how do you see things going? Where can you see your influence taking you? You do know you've got influence, don't you? What hope can you bring to those around you? What encouragement can the church be to its community at times like this? What care, what love, what alternative agenda could we have together as church? I don't know the answers, but I feel that these are the pertinent and prophetic questions that God is asking of us at this time and maybe you have something already in your heart I'd love to hear about that but this is what happened to Israel as they responded to God's word in their circumstances in verse 14 it says that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jezodak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. He stirred up the leaders. He stirred up the people. The literal word is he sparked their enthusiasm. The Lord would spark our enthusiasm today. He would release energy to us today that would kick out the glumness and the pessimism of the world around us because the world only shakes. This is what the Holy Spirit said to me, and I couldn't find it in the Bible, but this is what he said. He says, the world only shakes when the king moves on his throne. (laughs) The world only shakes at his coming. He only shakes. The mountains only tremble and melt like wax before his coming. He is coming. He is coming more close in in more profound ways than we have ever experienced. I really sincerely believe that we are living in the last days. 
where he is on the move in phenomenal ways. God is doing this. And he has not left us. And so we must think carefully about how we will live and and how we will speak and how we will act in times like these. And I think um, there's a call for action uh, as a response to this message and a little application. Um, and I'll, So I just want to finish. Uh, we, we're going to pray. I think that's the only way we can appropriately respond that we're going to pray. But I also want to finish with some practical thoughts and suggestions about how we might handle ourselves at this time, how we can be giving careful thought to our ways and handle some of the negativity that we're being exposed to continually all the time. Anybody? Is this just me? Please, I need an amen, or at least. <laughs> Thank you. So here's the first thing that's been challenging me is how we view the media. I mean, did you know that the media don't know what's going on either? They haven't got a clue, despite the calm and authoritative tone that they use. They haven't got a clue. So don't rely on them to tell you what to think. Try to make up your own mind on things because you have the Spirit of God. And you can discern between what is true and what is false. How we view the media. I think I've become increasingly aware of just how unreliable a lot of news stories are. And that's whichever paper you use, whatever online news sources there may be, it seems to be almost impossible to get completely unbiased reporting. So build that into your thinking with all that you see and hear. It's probably not unbiased. (laughs) So read widely and broadly. Read both sides of the argument. Recently, I've even taken to reading foreign news coverage just to try and get a different perspective. The Russian Times is interesting. Um, And it's in English, which helps. But to just get a different perspective on on Europe and what's happening. Interestingly, most of the international media are not that bothered about Brexit, by the way. Yeah, they're not actually that bothered about it. So that's interesting, by the way. China would probably be even more interesting, but there you go. Uh, And the apparent facts that are being quoted in different news sources, check them wherever possible. Or if you can't check them, hold them lightly because there are all kinds of hidden agendas going on. And we are people of truth, not rumor and gossip. Do you understand that? It affects us. It affects us. Even there. It's just me reading the news and I'm forming opinions. Negative. Don't spend too much time in the news, is the other thing I've been thinking. It's depressing. It's just not edifying to be reading the bad news of 66 million people multiple times a day. Do you understand? You know, how about instead of clicking on BBC News or whatever it is for you six times a day, how about six times a day we just stop and pray about the state of our nation? Every time you go to click, say, hold on a minute, I'm just going to pray. Just a suggestion. But you know, it's hard to obey the command to think on things that are good, things that are true, things that are praiseworthy, when you spend so much time reading dismal pessimism. And God just simply isn't like that. He is not pessimistic. He is never negative. 
And how can we encourage and build up others when our diet is the same as theirs? <laughs> so watch what you feed on. Feed on truth and so bring freedom to others. Give careful thought to your ways. That's the word of God for us today. Give careful thought to your ways and how we guard relationships with one another. You know, I don't think I have ever known the nation so divided and people so angry with one another. So much vitriol, so much harshness and intolerance of other people or their views. Families have divided between generations in whole new ways. Friends have argued like never before. Certain discussions can't even be had in certain places. Whether leave or remain or somewhere in between, there is no grace for anybody right now. Even amongst Christians. I've been so appalled by some of the arguments played out between brothers and sisters, some even leaders of churches on social media. Guys, these things should not be... (laughs) We are Christ's ambassadors, ministers of heaven, charged with reconciliation. Neither side has got everything everything right anyway. And social media especially is not the right place to discuss these things. The division in society is in danger of even coming into the church. It mustn't happen. That's not our job. (laughs) Be careful, brothers and sisters. You know, at Jubilee Church, we've worked really hard on building a culture of honor that has nothing to do with some of the prejudice that we are seeing in our communities today. I, this week, I was with some friends uh, from the Crown Church in Hansworth. Um, I love these two. They are so courageous. Louise was telling us how she was traveling into Birmingham on the top deck of uh, a beautiful Birmingham bus, no doubt, when she heard shouting and abuse down below, and a man who claimed to be a Christian was shouting racist and offensive remarks at a group of Muslims who were seated there on the lower deck. What would you do in that situation? I wouldn't want to argue with Louise, actually, but she got up from her seat, and she went down the stairs, and she stood right in front of the man, in between the man and the Muslim people that were seated, and she said, Hello. I'm Louise, and I'm a Christian. What do you believe in then? I don't think we have the same views, but let's talk and completely diffuse the situation. Come on. Come on, that's it. That's it. That's what we're called to do. That's being salt. That's being light. That's being peacemakers. That's what we're called to do. Stand in the way and bring peace in our relationships and communities. To listen more and speak less, perhaps. To listen and appreciate even other points of view, even if you don't agree. I particularly find, find that difficult. I'm very clear about what I believe. I find it hard to have those kinds of conversations because I know I'm right, you know. <laughs> but there's a kind of humility that's needed in this season. To listen to people. People need to be heard right now. They feel they're crying out for reassurance. They're wanting affirmation. They're wanting to know peace. Whoever said everyone had to agree with you anyway? Making connections at times like these is more important than imposing your differing views, really. So how are you doing with this? How are you doing with relating to others on the other side of the argument? Give careful thought to your ways, God says. 
Perhaps you may have been overly harsh or judgmental with others. So perhaps you should use your next social media post to apologize. Only you know. I'd like to say that to a few people on a wider network, but I haven't quite got that voice. But I think it's serious. Church, we have got to be the examples of peace and peacemaking and reconciliation at this time. Because we're dealing with big issues, but I genuinely believe that there are small solutions. Um, At times like these, the issues can seem overwhelming and we can be left standing at the bottom of a mountain of impossibility and wonder how on earth we could ever climb it or how could we move this mountain. But there is a way, (laughs) one step at a time and one stone at a time. We climb it, we move it. And this is about protecting relationships against that backdrop of incredible disunity and intolerance, living out heaven's culture wherever we are. It's about making wise financial and material decisions. Do you really need that? Do I really need that now? Do I really need to buy it new? Could I get second hand? Help the environment. Make a stack. Uh, and uh, don't overspend. You don't have to get into that debt. Make a choice. I I know some of you do feel really overwhelmed because especially some of the young people have spoken to me about the environment. I love this this up-and-coming generation. They'll say what they think. Come on. And and I know that there's many that feel very stirred about this at the moment, and uh, I am excited about that because I think it's something that God's called us to do something about. And I know this is something that we are talking about as a church. Do you know that Jubilee, by the way, part of the Jubilee call is to heal the land. (laughs) If you read about the Jubilee year, that's part of what it is. We're talking about this to see what we can make, uh, what difference we can make even as a church. But do the little that you can. Start somewhere. Just do the little that you can. Okay. Tempted to go on on that, but I'm going to leave that. But one small thing that we can all do that has a huge impact is to pray. It is. And somehow we've got to get over the battle to pray. We've got to find a way of breaking through so that we will do that silly thing called prayer. Sometimes it just feels, why am I doing this, speaking words into the air? I I was reminded as I was preparing this week, because I was having this battle in myself. Lord, you know, sometimes, you know, I really do believe, but sometimes, Lord, it's just, you know, if only you do a bit more sometimes. Anybody? Yeah. And he just took me back. I don't know if anybody here, there's people that would have been here, but at the last proper election, uh, we had a half night of prayer over over in the upper room of Christ Church. And the presence of God came as we were praying for our politicians and all that. And I can't remember all of the exact details. But I remember at a particular point that God said to us, unexpected things are going to happen tonight. And we prayed. And it was the first time in a very long time there was a change of local government here in Solihull. And we went from uh, liberal alliance to conservative. Now, I don't, you know, it's not a comment on politics. But we're in those times. The church prayed and we prayed. We went where the Spirit of God said, said, okay, God, bring that change and whatever change it is you want. And for the first time for many, many years, there was a change of government. It's just something that came back to my mind that we as a church were gathered praying on that evening and something quite big happened. 
How much more can we do together when we pray? How much more can we do? You all right? You coping? I just feel like, um, I feel like, only because this is where I've been and I realize you've only just heard this message and you might want to just go away and think about it. I advise you not to. Because I want you to respond with me today. I feel like there is a call for corporate repentance on some of these issues. And what I want to do is read to you the prayer that the Holy Spirit made me write down. You think I'm joking. Um, Ask Alison, I've been up in the night a lot this week, wrestling over this. Um, And then there's a second part of the prayer as well. I want to read both of those to you. And if you agree with the prayer that I want us to pray together, I'd just ask you to just stand up as we go along. Okay? If you say, yeah, that resonates with me, I want to join that prayer. And then we will pray it. And you can just say amen. All right? So you don't have to memorize it or anything like that. But I want to read it to you first because this is a big deal, what we're going to pray. And I want us to be in agreement on it. And this is it. Firstly, we repent. We are sorry for not praying. We're sorry for a bad attitude to our leaders, for being negative and blaming others. We acknowledge our wrong and ask you to forgive us and we humble ourselves and ask for your help for our nation and for the whole of Europe. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our nation. We take responsibility. We take responsibility for our own part in this, and we ask that you would help us to pray and give us powerful and faithful prayers to pray, prayers that will change our communities, that will change the world, making us ready for your return. I'd like to just pray this prayer now if you want to join me. I feel like there's an importance of corporate agreement here. So I'll just pray it again and you just say amen and yes brother and all the rest as we go along. Uh, Here we go. Father God, we repent. And we're sorry for not praying, for being prayerless people. We're sorry for having a bad attitude, especially to our political leaders, for being negative and blaming others. Lord, we're sorry for that. Father, we acknowledge our wrong and ask you to forgive us. And Father, we humble ourselves and we ask for your help for our nation and for the whole of Europe. Lord, please have mercy on us and have mercy on our nation. Father, we've got children, we've got grandchildren. Father, we ask for your mercy on us. And Lord, together we agree to take responsibility. This is serious, guys. If you don't really mean it, you're better off not saying it. You know, we take responsibility for our own part in this. Father, we ask you to help us to pray. Lord, would you give us an anointing to pray? Would you give us powerful and faithful prayers that we can pray? Prayers that will change our communities. Prayers that will change our nation. Prayers that will change the world, making us ready for your return. Father, please help us. Father, please help us. Holy Spirit, will you just come on us now?
Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I ask you to cleanse us. And Father, I ask you for the fear of God that you'd make us serious about these things. Father, it's been many years of ease for us as a nation, and we want to thank you for that. Thank you for the peace. Thank you for the prosperity. And we don't know really where things are going to go now. But whatever, Lord, we want to ask you for a move of God like we've never seen. We want to ask you, Father, to give us ready answers and ready encouragements that we will have fed ourselves on truth and be able to feed many. Lord, we ask you for a spirit of revival for those that have fallen away, that they would come back and be fully invested in your kingdom come. Father, we ask you to give us opportunities even to encourage and speak with political leaders. Lord, give us prophetic words that can help our nation, Father. Even that, Lord, even, even those fearful places, Lord. We pray that the church would increasingly grow to be the hope for our nation. Father, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name.